this morning, I am joining a conversation that is already in progress. We are in the middle of a series that we are calling Busy Jesus, Busy Jesus. And uh, in this series, we are really wanting to ask the question, what does it look like to live like Jesus, especially when life feels busy? I don't have to tell you uh, because you know this time of year tends to represent the sense of overwhelming busyness. Those miraculous margins of extra time we felt like we had in the summer, those are gone. The school year has started, and with the school year comes homework. And with homework, we're needing to help our kids. And if you're like me, then it's like second grade was my cap for my ability to help my kids with homework. But the homework keeps coming, and that goes, and the fall sports have started, and we've got to go from this location to that location and take this kid to that sport and that kid to this particular sport. And college is back, and with college, the projects have started, and all of of the expectations at work and, and, you know, all the things that started to happen around this time of year. There's a little less sunlight outside, so it feels like the days are shorter and we've got to squeeze more things into less time. The margin is shrinking on us and all of that just ends up feeling like busy. And if we're not careful, busy has a way of becoming our boss and it starts to bully us around, and busy starts to dictate how we feel, and busy starts to dictate what we do and the choices that we make. And before long, you ask me how I'm doing, and I'll tell you I'm busy. You ask me how I'm feeling, I'll tell you I'm busy. You ask me if I want to do that thing that I really enjoy doing, and I'm like, I would, but I am busy. And you ask me how I'm doing in the things that matter most in the grand scheme of things, and I will tell you I wish I was doing them more, but I am busy. But when things slow down in 2032, maybe I'll re-engage those very important things, but as it is right now, I'm busy. And you ask me if I want to get together, like we've been talking about getting together for how long we've been talking about getting together, and I'm like, I wish I could, but I am busy busy. I would do more of the things that I was created to do and called to do if it wasn't for this pesky fact that I'm busy. The calendar is full. And what we want to say in this series and what we want to see from the life of Jesus is busy ought never to become the boss that bullies us around. Busy ought never to become the boss. What matters most ought to matter most no matter when. What matters most ought to matter most no matter what. Busy is not the boss. Matter of fact, busy is just a question. And it's a question asking you, how are you doing budgeting your time around what matters most? Busy, busy. How can we live like Jesus, especially when life feels particularly busy? Because as we look back on our lives, what we will regret will be the moments that we missed in the middle of things that were piled on us and we just felt busy. 
How do we live, live like Jesus a little bit more? And so we want to look at a fascinating story this morning and maybe uh, plagiarize Jesus' life a little bit. Uh, if you have a copy of the Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. We're looking at a fascinating story. Jesus' stories are fascinating. So it is story time at church. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, the verses will appear up here on uh, the screen. But I can't say loudly enough, if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, please allow us the privilege of getting one into your hands. We would love to give you a Bible, our gift to you, the Word of God. Read it a little and let it change you a lot. But stop by the Connection Corner, ask for a Bible, and one of our amazing volunteers will hand one to you. Uh, let me also say by way of warning, if you're new at a mission point, that we are going to work our way through this Jesus story and we will pause and we'll make observations and then we'll keep reading and then we'll pause and we'll make observations. I'm just telling you so you feel warned for the emotional and, and mental um, you know, whiplash that you might experience. It is part of how we do things. Luke 18, starting at verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Okay, all right, we're going to stop right there. This is a Jesus episode, and it's a pretty cool one. And as this particular story opens up, Jesus is said to be approaching Jericho. And uh, in this episode, the music immediately takes a turn towards the dramatic, because this is an intense moment, y'all. This is an emotionally heavy moment right at the beginning of this particular episode. Because if you understand what's going on, then you understand that Jesus plus Jericho equals Jerusalem. Luke wants us to know that this is it. Jericho just represents the beginning of Jesus' final trip on earth as he is making his way towards Jerusalem to die. And Jesus knows this. And the reason we know Jesus knows this is because at the end of the last episode, he told his disciples as... Much. I am heading to Jerusalem to suffer the most unspeakable pain, to die the most unjust death, to pay for the most undeserving sinners. This is it. So when this scene opens up, Jesus is carrying the emotional weight of that pending and looming reality. Jesus is carrying the mental anguish of the fact that he is about to go and die in Jerusalem. And he is carrying it perfectly. Jesus didn't have any defense mechanisms. Jesus didn't have any ways that he could lie to himself to make things seem a little bit better and cushier than they were. He was feeling the full and authentic weight of what he was about to do, carrying emotional heaviness, mental anguish as he was making his way towards Jerusalem. Well, without warning, Luke hands the camera, and he focuses in on some dude sitting on the side of the road along the path that Jesus is taking. And before Jesus gets to this particular dude, um, Luke fires off two very quick facts about this particular guy. He tells us, number one, he is blind, and number two, he is a 
beggar. Look at the rest of verse 35, right? As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Oh, the music immediately takes a turn towards the melancholy, towards the, the dreary, the, the sad, the depressive, the gloomy, because blind and beggar in that culture is just code for an absolutely miserable existence. This is bad. We don't know how we ended up in this particular condition, but we know that when we meet him, this is his condition. He is blind and he is begging. That's bad. For a man in a patriarchal culture, a male-dominated culture, your worth was so tied to your ability to work and perform and deliver and therefore provide for the people in your tribe. If you were ever in a situation where you couldn't work and you couldn't prove your validity in what you did and how you provided, your clout dropped, your sense of dignity, it disintegrated very very quickly, and you became invalidated. You were viewed at best as insignificant and irrelevant in that community. At worst, you were viewed as this inconvenient burden. You add nothing to this community. You just take and take and take. And can we be honest with you, Mr. Blind Beggar Man, none of us would really miss you if you were gone. And that would have been his existence as a blind beggar in this particular community. But what often ended up happening is an individual like this would end up just being shoved into the background, would just become background noise, invisible, largely ignored by most people. So his only chance of survival was to position himself strategically in certain places and make as much noise as possible to make his way onto people's radar because they had considered him invisible and invalid. And if he was loud enough, then maybe he would get the attention of somebody annoyingly enough that would shut him up by throwing him some extra change or he might on the rare occasion find somebody who actually maybe considered feeling badly for him and in either case gave him something. It'll appear this guy is good at what he does. He is a savvy beggar by virtue of the fact that he has strategically positioned himself outside Jericho on the road to Jerusalem during Passover. Ooh, that's brilliant! Because he knows Passover is like Jewish Christmas at that time. Jews from all over the world are converging on this area, heading towards Jerusalem for this week-long or so celebration. And he knew that the most religious people on the planet are making their pilgrimage around this time to go to Jerusalem. If anyone might be possibly a little bit on the generous side. It is religious people feeling a little guilty about what they've done and heading to go see God, and then maybe they might give him a little extra. So this was a brilliant spot for him to park. And as his story starts, Luke says, I want you all to notice that invisible guy in the background along the road. 
And just as we are noticing this blind guy, he pans the camera again, and now he focuses us on the massive crowd on that day, but not just the crowd in general that's heading to Jerusalem. He focuses particularly on the thousands and thousands of religious people who have come out of the woodworks to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus is viral right now. He is the most popular person on the planet. He has done some absolutely impressive things that cannot be explained by human wisdom or rationale. Matter of fact, not too long before this, he raised a dude from the dead and words spread like wildfire. So people have come from everywhere just in hopes of catching a glimpse of this master miracle worker and maybe he'll do something for us, perform a magical trick or a miracle, who knows? But here they are chasing after Jesus. And there is a buzz in the air on account of this. So Jesus is walking and he's surrounded. He's got people in front of him leading the way. He has people behind him, you know, and he has people all around him and it is pandemonium in that place. Luke is just setting the stage. Here's Jesus carrying the emotional and mental anguish as he heads towards the cross. And here's this broken and blind beggar on the side of the road, relegated to irrelevance, invisible. But I want you all to notice him. And he is begging, hoping something gets handed out to him. And then here's this hyped religious crowd, hoping to get a glimpse of Jesus, following where he goes. Well, it's this insignificant guy who breaks the silence. He speaks first in this particular episode, and he speaks by asking the question, what's all this commotion? Verse 36. When he, the beggar, heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening, which just tells you the level of buzz Jesus brought. It is Passover. There are thousands of people passing by. What do you mean what's happening? Oh, no, there's a different vibe in the air. There's a different level of energy. There is a different buzz around here. Something extra is happening. And so this guy who cannot see can feel it. And he asks the question, what is going on? And they told him, verse 37, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by something snaps in him immediately he loses his stuff and he starts wailing at the top of his voice verse 38 tells us he called out Jesus son of David have mercy on me because even this irrelevant guy has heard about Jesus And he's heard that Jesus is notorious for helping people like him with impossible situations to be made whole again. You're telling me the only guy who can reverse this condition that I've lived with that has relegated me to irrelevance, the only guy who can fix this situation is in the general vicinity. Excuse me, Jesus starts yelling at the top of his voice. Mercy. Because if not today, when? If not now, 
And by the way, I find it beautifully intriguing that he completely parts company with the cry out for money. Ah, your boy wants mercy. Jesus, please help me for free. Listen, I can't give you anything. There is nothing I can do to make your life any better. I'm not saying that you're going to benefit from doing anything for me. I'm just asking you, please help me. Mercy. There's nothing in it for you, but I'm asking you to do what only you can do. Just mercy. He's asking, please do this favor for me, Jesus. And he keeps crying out over and over and over and over again. But Jesus' bouncers, they weren't having it. Sadly, it's too often the religious that serve as bouncers in the kingdom of God, don't they? Deciding who can and who cannot come to Jesus. And they've firmly decided that this is a no-brainer. Mr. Invisible, Mr. Invalidated over here is not on the list. In fact, they tell this guy, listen, it's not just that Jesus doesn't have time for people like you. It's that you shouldn't even be putting noise into the atmosphere that should make contact with his ears. That is just going to be an interruptive nuisance. He's never going to pick up your call. We don't know how you got his number, but stop calling. The bouncers shut this dude down. He is not interested in your desperate cries. Why on earth are you interrupting Jesus? Verse 39, those who led the way rebuked this man and they told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, mercy. I love this guy. He's a little bit too desperate to let other people speak for Jesus. No offense, y'all, but I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to him. Let him shut me down himself. And by the way, I hope that for some of you, that is going to be your anthem. I wasn't talking to the church. I was talking to Jesus. Let him speak for himself. Let him tell me whether or not my mess is too great. For him to respond. They're not having it. They're shh. And this guy's, no, let him tell me himself. And he just turns up, keeps yelling, Jesus, mercy. I don't have any other hope for my impossible situation. Please help me. Jesus, please help me. And you got to check out the next words and tell me you don't feel them. Verse 40, Jesus stopped. <laughs> Jesus heard this man screaming, cutting through all of the noise, all of the commotion. And Luke says, Jesus stopped. And we'll be right back after a quick commercial break. No, I'm kidding. Look at what happens next. Jesus stopped 
and he ordered the man to be brought to him. These are the pieces of the Bible that fascinate me. I love that Jesus makes these bouncers bringers. He's like, you who are stopping him from coming, I want you to actually bring him over here. This is just fantastic. As Jesus brings into the forefront this man society had pushed into the background. Ooh, I'm sure it's pretty quiet at this particular point in time. People are like, ooh, what's Jesus going to do? Is he fixing to put this man in his place and just tell him, listen, people like you should not talk to people like me and make an example out of him. What's he going to do? The anticipation is building in the air, but Jesus is so amazing, better than you've ever heard. He says to this man, I heard you calling. I heard you asking for mercy, but I'm going to need you to be a little bit more specific. What exactly do you want me to do for you? Verse 41. What do you want me to do for you? Oh, give me all the money in the world so I never have to beg again. Nope. Apparently, this guy has for years and years and years dreamed about a moment like this where he would finally have an opportunity to ask for the thing that he wanted most. He was ready, didn't hesitate. Look at the rest of the verse, verse 41. Lord, I want to see. I want to see. I just want to see, then I'll be able to get a job, and then I'll be able to, to feel a return of dignity, and then I'll be able to take my place in society. I just want to see, and then I'll be able to feel like I'm contributing, and I'm a part of bringing something to this world. I want to see. I'll be able to, to get on plentyoffish.com, maybe find me a wife, but we'll serve you together. We'll serve you together, Lord. I just want to see. This guy had dreams, and they were connected to his ability to see. So please let me see. <laughs> I love Jesus' response to him. Jesus is like, then see. That's how Jesus rolls. Like, okay, then see then. I don't know what you think is too hard for you, but for Jesus, all right, then see. Check out how this encounter ends. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately. It's one of my favorite Jesus words, immediately. But you don't know how long I've been messed up. Immediately. But you don't know how long I've been struggling with this. Immediately. But you don't know how high my sins have piled up. Immediately. But I've been blind for years. Immediately. He received a sight. And he followed Jesus. Praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised and seen. What a great Jesus episode. I mean, they all are. You should really check out the series found in Matthew through book of John. So 
So many things we can learn. And by the way, I wish we had time to just have like testimony because it would be so cool to hear some of the different things that stood out to you as we worked our way through this story, what the Spirit may be whispered to you as we read this story. It's one of the reasons we asked the question in our uh, discussion questions, like what stood out to you? Because we would love for you to engage the Word of God and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you through His Word so that if none of us ever sat on the stage again, you fall in love with the Word of God and His Spirit speaks and He sparks things in your spirit. And I wish I could hear what some of those things are, but I hope you get to have a conversation with somebody. What stood out in this story? Um, this is Jesus, and this is what living like Jesus looks like, especially when life feels most busy. Here's some things that struck me. Uh, thing one, Jesus stopped. I don't think anything stirred my soul more than those words in this story. Jesus stopped. To live like Jesus means to learn to stop for the hurting and broken and marginalized and socially invisible and the people our culture has labeled irrelevant and pushed into the background. To live like Jesus means to learn to stop for the most hurting in our world, especially when we are busy. Jesus stopped. I just want to remind you by way of recap how busy Jesus was. He was going to Jerusalem to die. Again, how heavily must that have been sitting on his mind? How consuming must that have been for his heart? How overrun must his emotional plate have felt? And yet he stopped. For this guy, this insignificant, invisible guy, Jesus stopped in the middle of all of that. Do you know how often I will retreat from people and I will say no to everything when I feel emotionally heavy? Or when I feel like my mental health just isn't right? When my emotional plate feels full, that is going to be the time that I am going to retreat and I'm going to say, listen, the stuff that is going on on the inside of me, I don't have time to think about anybody else, let alone to care about stepping into anybody else's world. I mean, you get that, right? We're busy emotionally. There's a lot going on. And the person will say, yeah, I get that. Great. So we give each other a pass. Great. Let's keep moving. We're busy. When my emotional and mental plate feels most overwhelmed, I actually believe that is heaven's way of telling me, you don't have to worry about anyone else right now. Just worry about yourself. We understand up here. And Jesus is like, do we though? Jesus stopped. 
with all that was going on, the busy craziness inside, and not to mention all of the external noise with thousands of people, with thousands of expectations of who he should be and what he should do and what it looks like to be a good Messiah and what a good student should be like and what a great parent should sign their kids up for it and you know what kinds of hours you should keep if you want to be the next person up at work and how many reps you need to get in the gym if you want to have the season of your life and and all of the like uh, the, the noise and the expectations and do you know what this person is doing and you've got to try and keep up with all of Jesus had hundreds of voices telling him who he should be and what he should do and what he shouldn't do, um, who he should stop for, who he shouldn't stop for, what way he should go. It was external pressure at a high level. Jesus, just keep going. You got to keep on a schedule. Jerusalem is really important. I mean, it's a cross. You got to get there. And yet Jesus stopped, not because it was convenient, not because he had extra time, not because this was on his calendar that morning. Do you know how often I get overwhelmed and I retreat when I feel like there are just so many voices telling me what a good parent is like and what a good pastor should be like and what I need to be doing with my time and, and what trends I need to keep up with. I'm going to stay relevant and who chat GPT is and, and how I should use that, you know, in, in my sermons or whatever else it is. This is not chat GPT, by the way. And then there's volunteering at church, and then who wants to get together, and then family, and who I haven't talked to for a while. And when all of those external voices and noise and, and on my calendar, and what's next, and this reminder, and that alert. Man, you think I'm going to notice a hurting person in my house, let alone a stranger in our community? And yet Jesus stopped overflowing emotional plate, overwhelming external expectations and noise and voices, and yet he stopped, and we must too. And why did Jesus stop? We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he is sharing who he is and what he is about from the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The spirit has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began saying to them, by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Powerful. This is Jesus making the announcement, this is who I am. This is why I came. These are my kingdom priorities. These are my marching orders. Heaven has sent me on assignment, and here is my assignment. This is who I am and what I'm called to be about. Therefore, 
everything else is going to have to fit around my kingdom priorities. And 14 chapters later, Jesus is still proving that what matters most matters most no matter what. His calling and his kingdom priorities have not changed. And his kingdom priorities, that's what governs his calendar. That's what governs his schedule. That's what governs his decisions, not his internal equilibrium. Not his emotional sense of stability, as important as that might be. Not the external voices and the pressure and what everybody else thinks. Not his grades and how he can make those pop. Not his stats in some kind of athletic endeavor. It was heaven's calling and kingdom priorities placed on his life. And Jesus says, this is what determines the decisions that I make. And if we don't get that, we're going to start feeling sorry for Jesus in moments like this. Like he got interrupted from doing some important stuff. And we'll miss the fact that this was the important stuff. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to do what, Jesus? To set captives free, which Drew Flam talked about last week. Some demon-possessed dude came running after you, and Jesus, you took care of that. You went out of your way because this is my kingdom priority. Oh, the spirit of the Lord is on me. What for, Jesus? Sight to the blind. And so it should surprise no one that I stopped. Not because I was interrupted, but because I was invited to re-engage my kingdom priority of sight to the blind. This is powerful. Turns out this guy was not an interruption. He was simply an invitation to re-engage. And when you understand your kingdom priorities, that's how you're going to start to see life and schedule and busyness. What are my kingdom priorities? And what falls most in line with that? I will stop in order to engage those things. Which raises the question, do you know your kingdom priorities? I'm not asking if you have a full calendar. I'm asking you, do you know what heaven has called you to prioritize with the moments you have here on earth? I'm not asking you what makes life most comfortable or what makes life most convenient for you. I'm asking you, do you understand what the Spirit has anointed you to do in this world? Because if you don't, you will be bullied around by the calendar and the noise and the internal pressures. And it will just perpetually feel like busy. And I don't know when to stop or where to stop. If you don't know your kingdom priorities, busy will bully you. And you will start to view Jesus' invitations as noisy interruptions. Talking about, shh, we don't have time for stuff like this. When heaven is screaming, this is why we left you on earth. 
That is not an interruption. That's an invitation to do the thing. To make sure that the most important thing is the most important thing, no matter what. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim. Okay. So, I don't know if you knew this, but... Um, If you're a Christian, you're a Jesus follower. You're called to follow the way of Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're part of the body of Christ, which means you are the arms and legs, the hands and feet of Jesus in our world. You are how Jesus is now expressing himself in the world around you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't know if you knew, but you are not only anointed by the Spirit of God, you are indwelt by him. I'm sorry. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 21. Now I'm talking to you. The Spirit of the Lord is on you. He's anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. Sent you to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the gospel, the year of the Lord's favor. I don't know if you knew. These are your kingdom priorities. If you have any question, what are my kingdom priorities? Just start here. Being the hands and feet of Jesus to the hurting and the broken and those who have been relegated to irrelevance in our world. The culturally invisible, bringing them into the forefront. The socially insignificant, helping them to have a sense of dignity. The broken and those society has said, no, 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 you have no place here. Helping them to belong, to relieve burdens. Announcing the favor of God. Jesus stopped. Jesus saw. To live like Jesus means to learn to see like Jesus. Now, this sounds like such a strange observation, and yet how profoundly ironic. I don't know if anyone else found this striking. Um, there are thousands of religious people heading towards Jerusalem, and they walk by this desperate, blind beggar who is crying out for help. Barely noticing him, barely paying any attention to him as they go. Because they have important schedules to keep and important people to hang out with. Begging the question in this story, really, who was most blind? 
I mean, there's a dude sitting on the side of the road and he's physically blind. But spiritually, his sight is on point. In fact, Jesus says, it is your spiritual sight that has made you see. He recognizes Jesus and he's not going to be deterred. He sees Jesus for who he is and he ends up having this transforming encounter with Jesus. This guy's spiritual sight is all right. Jesus, on the other hand, he sees this person the culture considers invisible and he immediately recognizes him for who he is. This is my kingdom priority. This is why I came. And so he stops for him because he sees him for who he is. And then you have thousands of religious people who are ironically following Jesus while they walk by the person who matters most to Jesus and his mission. Begging the question, who really is blind in this story? Begging the question, who really is blind in our churches? As we say, we're chasing after Jesus and we're we're following after Jesus. Wow, we could not be bothered to stop for the broken and the hurting people that Jesus Christ stopped for and calls us to prioritize. Because we're too busy. Jesus, surely you get it. We're on our way to church, and we're praying as we go by the very people that you've called us to extend your hands and feet towards. To live like Jesus means to learn to see like Jesus. And if we don't understand our kingdom priorities, we will constantly walk by the hurting and the broken in our world, not noticing them as we head towards the things we've decided are most important on our calendar. So I'm just asking, do you see the oppressed and do you see the stuck and do you see the lonely and do you see the forgotten in your world? And the truth is, if we took a poll of the church, many of us would say, I don't think I even know anyone like that. And the problem is not because there aren't people like that. That's just an admission that spirit of the living God, would you open our eyes and allow us to see through the lenses of your kingdom priorities, the people that you called us to be Jesus to. Uh, This morning, I was getting ready and uh, I'm like, Jesus sorted. Jesus sorted. And I, you know, because I'm not saying the Spirit of God speaks to me through alliteration. That's not the point. Um, But this struck me, this thought. If we're going to live like Jesus, we need to learn to sort like Jesus did. And this was the hardest one for me. Jesus stopped. The question that I bet nobody is pouring over in a seminary anywhere is Jesus stopped. What? Stopped what? I mean, for one, we know that Jesus Jesus stopped the, the, the timing of his arrival in Jerusalem is now going to be different because he took this little detour. I thought this was really interesting. Jesus stopped. Well, at a minimum, Jesus stopped going like he was moving on the cadence, on the schedule, and he stopped that. 
he resorted his calendar like this. Um, when you know your kingdom priorities, you will have to start sorting your world in its right order. This is difficult, y'all. No, no, no. We've been planning this vacation for six months. Okay. But then you saw something broken and messed up in your path. Are you willing to stop and to resort? Mm -mm. Do you know how many people were involved in getting the date? And do you know how long it took? To, no, 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 no. We can't mess with that. The vacation stays, which only reveals what really are my priorities. Ooh, yeah, this feels uncomfortable to some of you because you have a vacation coming up. And you're like, la, 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 la. Do not want to see anything that will force me to have to resort. I'm on the verge of my best season. And I saw something that is calling me to sort. Mm -mm. Jesus stopped what? The question. Now I have to, I saw something and now it's going to cause me to have to sort out my weekly agenda and I'm going to have to go two less times to the coffee shop this week in order to engage this kingdom priority. I've resorted. I've, resor I've resorted some of my subscriptions in order to address that. See, the thing for us is we have believed the lie that my calendar is final and cannot be changed. I'm like, oh, yes, it can. You can actually send a note after six months of not working to say, I'm sorry, I cannot make it to this job interview. Something of a high priority nature came up. Mm, no, I don't think I can do that. Because my value as a man is tied to how I perform and how I... Kingdom priorities, once I know them, I will have to start to resort my day. I will never be able to say I'm too busy for the kingdom priority because the minute I say that, I've just acknowledged there's a priority outside of the kingdom. Just asking you, are you willing to sort? What things did Jesus stop and resort? And if you're confused on the matter, then ask the question, what did Jesus have to sort to come for you? Because running the world, endless praise, that was a cushy gig he had before he had to sort out a body to come in and a whole cross to die on. And he invites us to the same. Now, lastly, Jesus stepped in. Jesus stepped in. Um, Jesus stepped in and gave this man sight. He could do that. We can't, but I think the point is Jesus stepped in and he did what he could do to relieve the burden that was crushing this man the most. And that's what we are called to do. Once I stop and I see and I'm willing to sort, 
I step in and I ask the question, what is keeping you from fully functioning in this world and in this society and in this culture and this community? What is keeping you from a sense of dignity and a sense of value? What is holding you back? And do I have what it takes to lift that burden? What can I do for you? That was Jesus' question. And sometimes I'll look at that thing and I'll hear what the need is and I'll be like, nope, I cannot do that, but I know someone who can. Let me make a couple of phone calls. Sometimes I hear something, I'm like, that's a scary situation. I don't do abusive worlds, but we can't let that continue to happen. So I'm going to make a couple of phone calls because that has to be lifted. I can't just keep going like I didn't see this because I have a vacation planned. Clean water? I don't know what I can do to bring clean water to a community. But I know a couple of engineering nerds who do. Let me hit them up. And I know a generous church that will step up and will. And we will lift the burden from a community and not just keep walking like the clean water crisis doesn't matter because we're too busy trying to make our kids superstars. Oh man, may the church stop and may the church see and may the church sort and like Jesus in the world, may we step into the messy and broken places and do what we can. And I'm telling you, when we start to live like that, we will be surprised by the resources Jesus sends to our side and the miracles we'll start to see as he starts to do through us what we cannot do through ourselves as we position ourselves in alignment with his priorities. And all of a sudden, the definition of busy starts to change. We are busy about the Father's kingdom. We would love to come and play, but that's going to have to fit into our kingdom priorities. I thought I knew what today looked like, and then I drove by a situation. I'm like, okay, sorry, y'all. I know this has been on the books, but I just saw a divine appointment that's been on the books since eternity. And I am positioned to step in and meet it. May we as a church never say we are too busy when it comes to the priorities of the kingdom. Jesus, thank you so much that we were the blind beggars on the side of the road crying out for help. Thank you that you not only stepped in, you stooped down and came to earth and took on a body and went to a cross in order to lift the burden of sin that was crushing us and allow us to be fully functioning members of your kingdom forever and ever and ever. Now you invite us to do the same. May we never be too busy because we've seen what matters most to you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.